Welcome back to Case Studies. Um, I'm here with an old friend that's a new friend. So we worked mm-hmm. around each other and taught at BYU for four years now, four yeah. and a half years, but actually haven't spent a ton of time together. And so it's been fun for me to catch up and one, yeah, one, learn about your journey and then kind of uh, what I'm intrigued with. And it's because I'm not political at all. Like don't aspire to it, you know, don't yeah. really follow it, but it's so important. It's it kind of inter intertwined in everything that we're doing and and you're actually entering this world. And so I want to talk about that. I want to take some time and, and get into the why and like what, what drives you? Cause I know, you know, from hearing your story, kind of every step along the way, it's it's kind of mission driven. It's about purpose and making a difference when you're building your companies and stuff. So I want to get into that. So anyway, just just welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I feel the same. It's been good to reconnect and get to know your story yeah. more fully. So I, I want to go back to the beginning because this was the, when we were talking earlier, this was the piece of it that was so profound to me. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You've built businesses and your career has spanned through some of like the craziest economic cycles that anybody living has ever experienced. And you were kind of in the center, like in the the heart of the storm and all those. So I want, I want to go back. So you, you went to, you went to BYU, um, did your undergrad and then you went to Duke and you did law school, right? That's correct. That's and, correct. And this was, this was when? When were you finishing this up? I graduated from Duke Law School in the spring of 2000. Okay. So this is like right in the heart of the- The, the dot-com. The, the internet explosion. Craziness. Yeah. 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 Dot-com mania. Yep. It was right when I was coming out of law school. And if you were, a, if you were interested in doing deals, doing transactional work, the frontier at that time was to go out West and go to Silicon Valley. And that's, that's where you started, you know, that that's where all the deals were happening. IPOs were happening. Big M and a work was happening. When it explained to me, like the feeling, like in 2000, I was a junior in high school. Yeah. And everything outside of like high school sports and my girlfriend. Yeah. Didn't matter. Right. You know, like my world was so small then. And so I, for me, I missed that. Like I, I was never in that, but like, explain yeah the feeling of 2000 kind of if yeah. you're living in america and, and specifically you moved out to silicon valley yeah it was it was it was another gold rush it it was it was kind of like the days of 47 in or 49 again in modern times with the internet coming to fruition is really what what had happened by you know the late 90s there had now been several examples of internet deals, business deals having come to full fruition and the case study had been proven that investors could make money on these deals. And so that had come to a crescendo right in 2000, in 99, 2000, 2001, where if you had any idea for any kind of business and a creative idea to somehow bring that onto the internet or, or add an internet business model to, to whatever that business was. And, and I mean, you know, some of the examples I worked with were selling gardening products online or, uh, selling furniture online or things that were, were maybe counterintuitive, 
of, of it, back then of utilizing the internet, it didn't matter if you had some idea. It was it was a, it was a real estate grab. People felt literally that every corner of the internet was being spoken for at that time, and if you didn't speak for it, you were going to be too late. And so, people from all over the country, right out of school, from other industries, it didn't matter, were coming there. And they were getting funding. I mean, all you needed to do was scratch together a business plan and you could get venture funding back then for any kind of internet business uh, business plan. So that was the environment at which I went back there. And, and it, had, it had to have been so exciting because it like, was so exciting outside of like working, you know, yeah. like a dog, like we're like, yeah, I mean, you're working a law firm that's fulfilling on all of this stuff. And right. so you're. Yeah. Like kind of nonstop. Like oh, that, yeah. that tempo had to have been so in, in, yeah. intense. The, the, the tempo was intense. We were working a hundred hours a week. Um, it was right in the middle of all the action. We were on what's called Sand Hill Road in yeah. Menlo yeah, Park. If people are familiar. And so that was, that was the deal capital of the world back then. I remember one day walking in my office from lunch and Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon are sitting there. They were, they were starting this green light Operation Greenlight deal that we were helping them on to uh, movies on the internet, you know, and they were going to crowdsource stuff. I've told you, but you know, one of my experiences back then that I didn't uh, fully appreciate is I was this young grunt attorney associate and I was assigned to this company called X.com and this young South African entrepreneur who was my age at the time, young, we were both like 28 and, uh, and I was in awe of him because he'd already had an exit. He was on his second, you know, company. And uh, and I got to work on that deal of merging X.com into, into PayPal. It was Elon. And that was one of, you know, I remember thinking, gosh, this uh, these guys are my age and they're out doing these these entrepreneurial deals. But I mean, when you look back now, up, like the people that you were interfacing with, they're kind of the masters of the universe at this yeah. point. Like you look at where they've gone. Yeah. And they yeah. built some of the biggest companies ever built in the history of the world. Yeah. But the, the, it wasn't that way then. No, no. But everybody felt the promise. Like that, right. there was, everybody kind of knew that yeah. it was happening and it, and, and it I, was in I, the air for sure. And I think what was like so fascinating to me when I was talking to you is like Sand Hill Road in 2000, that was the center of the internet yeah. universe. Like, yeah out of anywhere that the action was taking yeah. place. Yep. And you were yep. right in the middle of it. It was. It was fun to be right in the middle of it and uh, to be part of a movement. And that's really what it was back then. But do you think that's what kind of like got you out of law? Like yes. to see yeah. entrepreneur after entrepreneur yeah. after entrepreneur and like see them yeah. doing it and going for it. Yeah. And like... That's a good insight because there there was... If you were in Silicon Valley at that time, there was a real normalization of of risk and of being able to see yourself as an entrepreneur, you know, and that you can't really underestimate that. Like having a desire to be an entrepreneur and and being taken seriously in in Silicon Valley, that was that was just part of the culture and and so it really went a long way for me personally. And I saw this happen to others that of, of this self-awareness that, that came into existence then of, Hey, I, 
not only do I want to be an entrepreneur, but I've seen now all these examples and, and I can be an entrepreneur. You know, we, we, we were talking about that earlier when I was 27 years old, um, bought a house in a, in a kind of affluent neighborhood and bought it off the courthouse steps, literally bought yeah. it, you know, out of foreclosure. But everybody around me was 10 to 15 years older and most of them business owners. Yeah. And I think about how much that influenced the trajectory of my life, just seeing it, just yeah. seeing I've got five friends or 10 friends yeah. that have built and sold companies yeah. and it normalizes it something does that's normalize not normal. It. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, exactly. and I think about you being in that, it kind of normalizes it's you're hitting thing your, that's you're not your finger normal, right you know? on it. Yeah. Being in, in unique environments like that where certain outlier type of of relationships or status is normalized. But what a it gift. can be really like, healthy. Like, like yeah. what a gift from God. Like when you look back and say, Yeah, how was this my first job out of law school? Right. Right. And obviously you had to do your part, but still like you yeah. could have gone anywhere, you know. It was a it was an incredible blessing and a unique opportunity. So you so you you do that for how yeah. long? So I did that for about two years. Okay. And uh and then I realized I wanted to not just be servicing entrepreneurs, I wanted to do it. You want to get in the game. I wanted to get in the game. And so I left and started a company called Cargo Bay. And the idea behind Cargo Bay, it was kind of a WeWork 20 years early, uh, focused on industrial and small business clients. So it was, it was kind of basically a big self-storage facility yeah. with offices and small industrial spaces that you could rent on a month-by-month -month basis with a credit card, without a lease, yep. without the commitments or, or complications that go with, with leasing for small business people. And you could grow as you grew, you could, you could grow in real time on your real estate needs. And so that was, that was the idea behind the business. And to, to this day, it might've been my best business idea. The timing was good the product at the time. Market fit was just perfect, right? It like was a it, great, it just yeah. like, it, it was an instant hit. Yeah. The product market fit was good. And, uh, and it was at a time when, you know, it was a good time to be developing real estate in the early early aughts there. I mean, those are kind of the go-go days for real estate. Yeah. You know, like I, again, I'm trying to like put myself in this. My, Interest my, rates my, were low. Well, my first experience with real estate, I remember I, I get home off my mission and I'm 24 years old and yeah. I went out and I sold for a summer and I come home and I'm buying a house. I'm dumb, 21, 22 years old. Yeah. And I buy a $300,000 house a $250,000 house, but it appraises for 300. Hmm. And the, the escrow person's like, well, do you want a $50,000 check? And I was like, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and I closed on a loan with no cash out of pocket and they cut me a check for $50,000 Yeah, with a low interest rate. And I'm, I'm on like, I'm a door door salesman. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, this is real estate. Right. Huh? This yeah. is how real estate works. Yeah. And it was just, it was looking back now, it was this bubble. Yeah. Where, you know, but for my first experience in it, if you bought something, it was great. It went up 30% every year yeah. and it, financing was easy. Yeah. And it was just, that was kind of a, just a, it was a good time, crazy time for real estate. It was a golden time until it wasn't, until know? it wasn't. Yeah. And then, and then it, it got, it got dark real quick. 
And it's funny when we were talking earlier, yeah, the financial crisis of 2007, that really wasn't even, it, it wasn't like people knew real estate was going to be hit so hard immediately. But from that point, that was the hinge point, 2007, uh, the fall of 2007 with the financial crisis. And then real estate gradually just, just began to, to, to it die. It was so hard. And it was, it was, it, it was a slow death, but it was, it was complete. I mean, there was never, there's never been a worse real estate environment than, you know, really not beginning in, in the fall of 2007, but right on through to, you know, 2010, it 20, lasted a long time. Yeah. yeah it it, was, I mean, it, it was it, rough. It, that, 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 that tell. Yeah. It was a long, cause that stuff doesn't move fast. It didn't move it fast. It doesn't cycle through and you know, like, and we were talking, you said it took you two years. Yeah. Yeah. Just negotiating and, yeah. and trying to work to just get out of this beautiful yeah. business that you had. Yeah. That the market just changed. It, it, I had two big loans, two big projects and they were both underwater from an appraisal standpoint. And so, you know, I, I was quite sure I was going to have to declare bankruptcy that I personally guaranteed these loans, yeah. but I hung in there, you know, both the banks I owed money to had, were taken over by the FDIC during this time. And so I was interfacing with different regulators and, I think I think they gave me credit just for hanging in there with them. most and, people didn't. And yeah, a lot of people yeah. didn't. And I ended up doing a deed in lieu with one, a short sale on the other. But I'll never forget walking out of the banking, the the bank on that when I had finally done that last deal and just feeling this the weight off my shoulders, feeling this relief. It was a great feeling. Yeah. You know? And I tell people But so heavy, you know, like somebody from the outside would look at that and say man, he's got to be so bummed, you know, went and did law school, has this venture that has all the promise in the world. Yeah. And the outcome is you go kind of a thankless two years. Sure. Oh, didn't make a dollar. Just to unwind two it. Years. Yeah. And I think from the outside, that would probably be a low point. You know, yeah. like if somebody was looking at kind of your story from the outside they'd probably say that's rock bottom. Yeah. But the way you describe it, there was a lot of daylight. There was a lot of hope and there was a lot of excitement. Yeah. It was the best of worlds. That it was the worst, yeah. best of times and the worst of times. You're right. I mean, um, it was a dark time. You know, I, there were no prospects. I, I remember, you know, like I mentioned, I was relieved that I didn't declare bankruptcy. And I, t I tell people, to this day, that my greatest business accomplishment, my whole career will be avoiding bankruptcy during the, the yeah. recession. But, but I also, um, so there was relief, but it was also dark because I didn't know what was next. And it wasn't like, you know, I, I had a law degree. I had my bar license. I needed to get my continuing education caught up so I could get my bar license active again. And all my friends and family, you know how this is Casey had, told me, Hey, this is why you got an education Yo. for times like this to fall back on it and to, to go get a, a respectable job. You'd kind and, of taken like the green pill at that point. Like you'd kind yes. of seen the world in a lens that you can kind of never go back yeah. to that world or at least never not That's be well fully said. happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you that had just so like this heady yeah. 
experience where you're the you're the captain of your ship. And yeah. the idea of probably like going back into hard that to ever would go be back. really hard. It it is hard. And I it was during that time I took a trip with my boys and we went and visited this we were actually in San Francisco and a friend of mine said, Hey, you ought to go check out the Presidio. They're redeveloping it. And they, they had taken one of the hangars at the Presidio and turned it into a trampoline park. And I didn't even know what a trampoline park was. There were maybe 10 of these in the country at this time. And uh, I took my boys and we just had a blast. Loved it. It was a physical experience. It was this aesthetic experience, a social experience. There were people there we were sweating. We were playing dodgeball with strangers. It was just this mashup of all these incredible things. And I left that trip and I thought, you know, not only is this a blast, I, I think I, I've got it figured out. I could, I can do one of these. And this would be a great little bridge, small business yeah. that would bridge me over um, until I find a real job yeah. as an attorney again or whatever, whatever it might be. And so that was my mindset going into it was like, hey, let me let me just do something to put food on the it was table. A side hustle, a side hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was truly a side hustle, yeah. you know. Uh, and so that's that's how it it launched. And I did my first one with that mindset. I remember sitting down with my wife, making a little budget. There were no pro formas you could buy on the internet or anything. I just made a little Excel worksheet, plugged in my assumptions, and I told my wife, I said, "Listen, I think if everything goes perfectly, we could clear five grand a month." on this thing. That would and have been a big deal back wouldn't then. Wouldn't that have been just yeah, an, like just an incredible blessing? This yeah. would tide us over and and that would be a, that would be amazing. So those that's kind of what my expectations were. And sure enough, it did that and better and we did another one and it did great and a third and pretty soon you know, I had done three or four of these all under the mindset of this is just a side hustle. Yeah. It wasn't till three or four in that I thought you know what? These are all performing well. We could scale this. This is the business. Yeah. Like this is kind of this where is I the need business. To be. That's yeah. exactly the, yeah. the right phrasing for it. I, I think about this like concept that Clayton Christensen made, kind of popular, about a deliberate strategy, and then emergent opportunities, and kind of this. You're going down this path, and you've got. And I think it really is important to plan. Like I'm, yeah. I'm kind of religious with making plans. Yeah. But I think so much of planning is just momentum. It's right. just getting moving. Yeah. But so many, like I think about the business that I'm in today, it was an emergent opportunity. It wasn't the yeah. strategy. It was the the thing on the side that we were doing as we were, as I was yeah. focusing on the real plan. Right. And then you look back and you say, this one is the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but sometimes it's hard to like take your eye off the real plan. You know, you're, oh, yeah. you're, you're being so you're efficient. Yeah. You're invested <laughs> in the plan. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Casey. So much of planning, it's so important, but it is about managing the human animal. And, uh, and you're right. I look back at my life and if you'd have told me in law school that I'd be doing trampolines or, you know, you have, you do have to be open to, like you said, emergent opportunities and, and, and realizing when you've got a tiger by the tail yeah. and there's, when there's something there. And that was the case with this. Um, and, but, but that run, that run was just like meteoric. It was from five to you guys are yeah. what? 350. 
fifty now. Yeah, not quite. We're at like three twenty, but but it was. I mean, you know, international, international. I, I remember, you know, we were at one point there when my hair was really on fire. We were developing, you know, fifteen of these. We were opening more than one a month, including internationally opening in Hong Kong and opening, you know, in in the UK. Well, then we've got something opening in Virginia and, and in Louisiana, you know, and so it was just, just going for it, just going, going, going. And you don't know at the time, you know, your mindset when you're doing that is like, Hey, where's, where's the next one? Where, where's the next one, the next opportunity. We're going to get another one of these up. And you're, you're engrossed in the project management side of, of getting these, financed, getting them marketed, getting them up and open, getting them hired, all of that. You look back on that now and realize, oh, wow, little did I know, you know, we were the value we were creating on a month by month basis. That was the farthest thing from our mind. Yep. But we were literally, you know, we were, we were earning half a million bucks an hour back then when we were building, I'm exaggerating, but I mean, that, that was, not far off in terms of the value. You were just like in it as yeah. far as focus and creating. Yeah. But as yeah. you look back, you're like, yeah, that was productive work. That was like productive we, we, we were absolutely. Yeah. We were putting units on the scoreboard. We were in, that was the sweet spot. <laughs> that was the sweet spot. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's a good way to put it. The sweet spot. You look back and realize that was really the core value creation time. Yeah doing that and uh, good memories. Yeah. And so you, you built that there's a third economic cycle. Yeah. And and I think this is, this is the one that I remember you telling me about this and my, I almost got like a pit in my stomach (laughs) and we all have our COVID experiences. Yeah. It's almost like nine 11, you know, you there's points in life where something happens that's so emotional. Yeah. That you can kind of go back and remember everything in that, in that moment. But you've got this business again that is up and to the right, that yeah. just the right product market fit, beautiful unit economics. Yeah. And then COVID hits. And I can't think of a business that was hurt worse yeah. by COVID. So g- give me kind of like yeah. one, what happened? And two, what was your psychology? Yeah. As you're navigating through this storm. Right. Well, you know, this is at a point, like you said, Casey, we'd already, we'd already made it. You know, we, we had, we'd taken on private equity. You'd taken we some were, chips off the table. We'd taken some chips yep. off the table, but the company was, was stable and the unit economics are great. And, and it's not like the business was at a stage where you're laying in bed at night thinking that, that it could all be gone tomorrow. And then COVID hit and, and, you know, we're a consumer services business um, it happened gradually as municipalities began doing shutdowns and it was different. You know, we had these over 300 parks, but they were all over the country and all over the world. And each state, each country had their own requirements, their own shutdown standards. But in net during COVID, ultimately all of those 320 stores were shut down for a net of seven and a half months. And Which, that's completely I'm trying to think of any business that completely could survive. shut down. Right. Yeah. 
it, like, it would be hard for anyone to survive because that like no ha- revenue. How do you keep your zero employee, revenue? Like you have to let all the employees go. Like, like what's the, well, and this is, this is one of the dilemmas in a multi-unit business like that, letting employees go, you know, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana means that you're basically shutting that unit down and we couldn't do that. Right. We had to keep our powder dry and be ready to open up again on so that you're, unit. You're kind so, of just burning. So we had to be furloughs. Time with um you know with with our managers and and try to keep th- keep them alive same with landlords you know there's nothing in a in a lease that says hey if, during a pandemic you don't pay rent i mean they were they still wanted their rent every yeah. month and these things are closed down no revenue so so that so we were trying to shoestring that and 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 cut deals with landlords and keep that alive when there's kind of no end in sight like when no. you're in that fog of war yeah like it's easy in 2024 to look back and say, man, yeah. that there was some light at the end of that tunnel. And, Didn't if, know anything, that and if anything, there'd be some tailwinds, you know, that people right. would come back more excited to be so. Yeah. But in that moment, you don't know anything. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're just doing. You, you didn't just fighting to survive. Exactly. That's exactly. And so it was, there was no prospect at all. We once again felt familiar. I was doing workouts with our bank and, and, you know, we're, we're doing amendments with them. So it all had a very familiar feel. It started yeah. to feel like the financial crisis again. So heavy. And uh, it was heavy, yeah. yeah. And we uh, we came out of that and survived. We were able to to do some creative deals with, like I said, with our bank, with the landlords, with our managers and our team to keep them uh, in in the roost, you know, yeah. uh, during that time. And and without going into all the detail, you know, it's been miraculous. So our business has almost doubled since the beginning of COVID. You actually put your finger on it. People did come out of COVID with a appetite and a hunger for physical experiences. Yo. People had been cooped up for a long time. I think that was a big piece of it. So it came out roaring right out of COVID. People uh, have gone back to our parks and I think other active entertainment types of venues yeah. they've gone back to, but you want to have those experiences again. You yeah. Kind of have yeah. them taken away from you. Yeah. They were, they were deprived of experiences yeah. and, during COVID. And so that, so that appetite doesn't go away and it was, uh, and, and so it came back strong, but another near death experience. And that's what I, you know, I, I look at my experience. It's nothing I plan but I have been on the front lines of every major economic crisis of our generation. And that experience, you don't plan for that experience. You don't go to school for it. You just sort of uniquely and randomly are, are thrown into that by oh, faith course. a little bit, but it does give you some perspective and experience and, and I'm grateful for it. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, um, mentoring because yeah. I know this is like something that is kind of right core to yeah. who you are and what you're about um yeah. with BYU yeah. with the young entrepreneurs kind of that Utah yeah you're just kind of right in the heart of a lot of the young entrepreneurs in yeah. Utah talk to me about like why you do it and what you do like yeah. what, what what's your message to somebody that's just on the front end of starting yeah you know, I, uh, you mentioned, I went to law school at Duke. I'm going to give you an analogy that I, I learned there and it, it stuck with me all these years. I'm a big Duke basketball fan, coach K fan from my days there at Duke. And, um, 
I heard this anecdote once and it stuck with me and it was, it was t- about coach K and, uh, and the, the anecdote was what, what is the measure of a great basketball coach? Is it wins? Sure. Yeah. Wins and championships, certainly. But then, but then someone put the other factor in here and it stayed with me. Or is it how many other head basketball coaches are there yeah. who are, have been mentored by coach K or his assistants or who've been brought along by him. And that, that stuck with me. And I, I've found that to be, especially at this stage in my career, maybe an even more important uh, measure of success. And I look at kind of some of my, you know, people that I worked with and trained, and we've talked about some of them, Ty Nielsen, of course, Jordan Wade, Tim Miller, um, the kids are like you know, taking court Robbins. Yeah. yeah. They're, on, they're on the front end of just like, these guys the are dragon. out and they're, yep. they're slaying dragons and it is so satisfying to and see they're, that they're in the arena. Like yeah. they're doing it. Like yeah. they, they have their own yeah. economic collapses coming. Yeah. Like they're they, gonna, they they're have their, their own, they lessons. have their own yeah. storms, but it, I can't like overstate how helpful it's been for me yeah. in the storm. Yeah. Yeah. To have somebody that was five or 10 or 15 years oh, yeah. in front that can come like, just hold my hand. Absolutely. And most of it just tell me, Hey, like keep on keeping on. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the one that, you know, when I talk to Ty about you, he reverences you, <laughs> but I think it's because you've like poured you. your, poured your life into him. You know what I mean? You've given so much to him and a lot of these guys, and I know you've done that for how many years have you taught at BYU now? Uh, this is my fifth year yeah. now. And, uh, and you know, I mean, we, we share this experience and I didn't know what I was getting into when I first started teaching at BYU. I thought, yeah, this is a, a worthy way to give back. Yeah, It's a worthy way to use and leverage my experience and some of the stories I've had, some of the lessons I've learned. And what I learned from it was a couple things. One is the energy back uh, from those students is like nothing three else. times. Yeah. It's, it's, it's three times anything I bring to the table. I mean, it is an, it is an incredibly energizing practice. Yo. Uh, it's a hack almost. I think if most people knew what a energy hack that was, the line to be, to, to be teaching over there would be long Yo. because it really is. You love it. it I, I love it. And, and so that's been, that's been important, but it's also been an opportunity to mentor. And, and the reason I think it's it, it it is even more hands-on in entrepreneurship than other things cuz so many of these kids have ventures as you know Casey they are not just going to school they have a startup they they're have a, a business that yeah, they're, they're a side it. hustle that they're nursing along and so you're not just mentoring them in the principles of entrepreneurship but you're actually clinically getting down into business they're, models they're, they're with physi- them and helping them do business, it yeah, yeah. And that, I, I think the opportunities for mentoring for that are different than maybe if I was teaching math or English or or anything else over there. So the entrepreneurship in particular is a, is a fertile it, it, field. It, it just requires so much more of a compass than yes. a lot of these other fields. Like so many of these other fields, there's a specific training and track that you just can't skip. You know, yeah. I, th- I think about, you know, some of the people that work with us at Sandlot you went on the accounting track. 
Right. And and you graduated in accounting and then yeah. you worked at one of the big four. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe you got some experience, you know. Yeah working privately, yeah. but there's a track and there's a very defined path very defined. if you want to be like senior leadership in yeah. that track. But the entrepreneurship route, there's principles, yeah. but you kind of choose your own adventure. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's the one where like, and so much of it is psych- psychology, even more than skill. You think yeah. about so much of like what you were trained for in law right? didn't prep you to go be- yeah. It helped, you know, you at least kind of can work on certain aspects of it, but that's not like what yeah. helped you build your businesses. No, no, so true. And and it's interesting. So I, I did one of these with David Nealman a couple nights ago yeah. and asked him that question Legend. of like, what advice would you give to a young David? Yeah. And he's like, entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. Yeah. And he's like, if you don't go to sleep obsessing about it, yeah. And if you don't wake up obsessing about it, and if yeah. you can't train your emotions to yeah. deal with the roller coaster of stress, yeah. it's not the field for you because it is it you're gonna feel the highs, but you're also yeah. gonna feel the lows Amen. in a more extreme manner yeah. than a lot of these other fields. Yeah. It's so true. Hey, Casey, I mean, look, you and I have been blessed to to realize some of the gr- triumphs of entrepreneurship, but I'm not that far away from it to not remember. There were many weeks, many months I would have traded for a paycheck. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, you know, and, uh, and, and so it's true. I mean, and you have to have that self-knowledge to know if you can, if you really can, because there's a, believe me, there's a lot of benefits to a regular paycheck. Yeah. And, uh, and no one knows that better than entrepreneurs yeah. who've gone without that. And, and, uh, but I agree, uh, it, it, that urge to create and to, to, to do things is overcomes all of that. So, so I want to talk about the next chapter yeah. in the story, which is a public service yeah. role that you're choosing. I'm fascinated with this. Particularly, I'm always intrigued when people choose that career that don't need to choose that career. Yeah. Like, it's one thing if it's like, hey, I, you know, live my whole life yeah. to be in this world. And honestly, that's, it kind of turns me off. That's a lot of what yeah. turns me off. Right, right. Is it feels like there's a disconnect between reality and yeah. and the policies that yeah. are created. But when you when you called and told me what you were doing, I was fascinated on the why. Yeah. So like why? Yeah. Why why start down this road? That's a great a great question. You know, I and and when we teach entrepreneurship, we talk a lot about product market fit. We talk a lot about product entrepreneur fit, which is what you know. Why are you the right entrepreneur yeah. to take this idea out there? What's yeah. the nexus there between yeah. your experience or your and that's and that's what I've thought a lot about in this run for Congress. You know, why am I? Why do I feel so? So from a high level, from like even some somebody like myself, I don't fully know the mechanics. I yeah. don't fully know. So you're you're running for the vacated yeah. Congress seat of Senator John or yeah. John Curtis. John Curtis is running for yep. Senate. He's John, been our representative yep. here in the third district of Utah, and so this is to replace him. Okay. 
And uh, so there's no sitting incumbent. There's, there's nobody no sitting that you're incumbent. trying to upend. It's kind of a it's yeah. a jump ball right now. It's a jump ball, and the unique lane I'm in. I'm the only one from the private sector. You know, we there, there are several. I, I'm the only outsider who's yeah. who's coming in here. We have several people running who are who are current government officials at the state or local level, and to me, that is that's really where I like to draw a distinction. I mentioned it earlier. I, for some reason, I have been on the front lines of every major economic crisis of our generation yeah. and somehow found a way to solve an entrepreneur through that. Yeah. And I think that experience is important right now in our nation's capital and, and to represent Utah on a national stage there in the House of Representatives. We First of all, as you know, we have one of the most important economies in this country. We call it our Silicon Slopes economy. It's actually broader than that, yeah. but this 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 economy here has been one of the shining lights of our country over the last 10 years. We need that to be represented well in in Congress. John Curtis has been on the Energy and Commerce Committee, which includes technology. It includes m- most everything to do with our economy. And this is a state level or is this a national level? This is level? the national okay, level. So this, this is, this is federal. like, this, yeah. is a, this is a big deal. Yeah, this is this is the federal House of Representatives. And, um, and so the opportunity to really lead and, and a belief I've had over the past years, I've watched what's happened over there and watched the dysfunction and watch the lack of of leaders, the lack of problem solvers, Yo. and lack of people who have d- really gotten things done in Yo. the real world, and they seem to have lost track of what it means and 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 the principles it takes to get things done. I feel like uh, I can't be on the sidelines anymore. That there's actually a good p- entrepreneur opportunity Yo. fit here, if you will, with my experience, and to go back there and be a leader amongst the, the, these other representatives to try to get things done. First and foremost, on the economic side, we need to get our fiscal house in order. I mean, that it's a mess and, and it's a train headed for a cliff because there are big problems coming up. Medicare is going to be so bankrupt. So give, 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 some, give some specifics. Like, yeah. like, what, like what, when you're looking, you're saying, hey, like this is a problem. We got to yeah. fix this. Like what, what are you talking about? There, there are a couple things that, that are right off the bat, Casey. I mean, you know, People who have basically kicked the can down the road on important things, including our fiscal uh, house. I mean, we, you know, we are, Medicare is going to be bankrupt in 2031. Social security is going to be bankrupt in 2033. No one has, has wanted to solve that or do anything about it because no one is back there to actually solve problems. There's kind of like no incentive for a lot of these people yeah. to solve it though, right? Because no. it's like, I like, why am I going to go die on this sword? I'll just right. like, you know, punt it and some turn it into somebody else's yeah. problem. It's it, And if you exactly. care about like keeping your job, Kick you it know, down like the road. Why, why go tackle a tough issue? That's exactly right. $34 trillion deficit that That's we're insane. at now. I can't even fathom that number. Servicing the deficit will soon be the second largest expenditure in our federal budget. And again, to your point, this is why you need people who don't need the job, but are truly interested in solving problems and going back there. So, so all of the the financial issues, the other one, and this is obviously we're, we're talking a lot about this right now, but our Southern border 
is an absolute mess. So let, let me give you an experience. So I go hunt down in Mexico. Yeah. And in Tucson. Yeah. And for the first year this year, there's like a full-blown cartel war. And why they're fighting is the route to be able to yeah. take people to the border. Real estate. And, 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 and yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so lucrative. But like in the past, they would be dropping people off five miles and they're like navigating at night yeah. under like, you know, through the desert yeah. to try to sneak across the border. Yeah. Like they're driving them to the border, dropping them off and they're walking straight across. And there's yeah. like, it, it, it was, no, this was the no first, resistance. I've been going down there for 10 plus years. This was the first year where I'm like, what dumpster fire is going on yeah. right now? Like that, like this yeah. is crazy. Like it's crazy. Like it's crazy. There's no, Casey, no organization that you were running no company, no organization. It would be a catastrophe. You wouldn't allow it. It's an operational well, and, and I, failure. I don't, I don't have like the answer. Like I, I served my mission in Oklahoma mm -hmm. and it was Spanish speaking. Yeah. And so the people that I worked with and served were, most of them were illegal immigrants. Sure. From, you know, South America. Yeah. That yeah. came here illegally, but it came here because it was a better life for their family. Yeah. yeah. And what I learned on that mission was like, if I was in their shoes, I'd do the exact same well, sure. thing. Right. And so I don't fully know the yeah. answer other than yeah. what we're doing now yeah. is a mess. Like it's, there's got to be a way that they can get here. People can yeah. get here legally. Well, that's the And thing. work legally and pay taxes legally. You know yes. what I mean? Like legal, right, legal immigration is an important part. Look, we're all children of immigrants. Yeah. Legal immigration is an important part of the American dream. It's, it's a part of all the, uh, these other th entrepreneurship. One of the things I teach in entrepreneurship is if you look at entre successful entrepreneurs, they are, it, they are oversampled by immigrants. Like, like immigrants are successful entrepreneurs yeah. in this country much more than, than the general population. We need immigration. We need good people to come. The problem is we are we have sacrificed our sovereignty and our order down there. No well, it, one knows who's in this country. It, it, it's no one knows it's who's insane. coming over. Like I'm, I'm sitting here talking to a, a yeah. guy that like, and down there it's just the local business. The, yeah. the, the cartel is like the local entrepreneur. Yeah. They employ yeah. the whole city. Right. And, yeah. and they're like, Hey, if you're from Mexico, you pay this. Yeah. But if you're from China, you pay yeah. this. And if you're from Africa, you pay this. And right. if you're from the middle East and I'm like, You've got the world oh, yeah. that's flying down here yeah. to cross like Oh, that's it, that's that's it, one thing that's it, changed in no, recent years. I, I'm like, that wasn't there three no. years ago or five like so it's a real yeah. problem. It's you know? a real problem. It's not just we always think of it as people coming from Mexico. Well now you know, those northern triangle countries like Venezuela and and others, I mean, and you've got people from China, Europe, you've got people it's China, from Europe it's, and Russia and Ukraine. That's we what, had 169 people last year from the terror watch list were caught that's insane. trying to sneak in. I mean, just since the Biden became president, there's been over 6 million people. Now listen to this, Casey, encountered at the border. That Those are people we actually encounter with our agents there. That doesn't count thousands, probably millions of others who are sneaking in with coyotes or with the, the coyotes or the drug cartels that we never even know about. So 
That's a size. Remember, six million people. That's the size of Los Angeles. Yeah, it's We've got insane. More than the city of Los Angeles coming in. So we have to get organized. We have to create order down there, and then have a discussion about legal immigration. But you can't really even have that discussion until you even know who's until, coming uh, in. Until, until there's you, some until you like, order and yeah, organization, yep. and so it is just willful denial and and lack of solving a problem and and anyone could do it honestly anyone could it doesn't take brains this is something that any entrepreneur you know could could do but it's about getting the political will back there you you gotta have some resolve i think that's the i think that's the thing is like somebody has to have some backbone yeah and i think honestly like again i am not political, have no desire to be in that world, but I admire, I've got friends that have been on the private side and have gone into it. And I always admire them because I'm like, that's a labor of love. Like you're, you're, you're truly like, you're not doing it for, and it's kind of a thankless job at a lot of points. And so I, you know, I admire you for signing up to go make a dent in the world and to go solve these problems and like want to help. Thanks, you know, Casey. get you in that spot because we need more people like you that know how to solve problems that are competent, but actually like if they lost a job tomorrow, they wouldn't cry. They don't need they, the they'd job. go do something great, you know, and I think that's the, an important, like when you have no fear of loss, right? you're kind of dangerous yeah. because you can just do hard things without the fear of, I agree. Anyway, so that, that's the stuff that when I look at it, I'm like, yeah. We, yeah, let's get we you in need there. to reestablish in our generation this idea that public service and an elected office is a noble calling. It's a way to give back. It really is. And we need, to your point, more people who don't need to do it Yo. to decide to do it. Yo. And that's gonna that ultimately is gonna make the difference in terms of getting a critical mass of people who are willing to make those tough choices that may not be the best for them politically, but are best for the country. Yep. And, and we've got to move in that direction. And, uh, that's what, that's the whole driving purpose of, of why I'm doing this. And I, I hope it will be an example to my own kids. And I hope, I, uh, I hope we'll be able to make an impact and get back there and do it. Well, I'm excited for you a hundred percent behind you and would love to help however I can help. Um, and so we'll kind of get into that towards the end, as far as kind of what are the actionable things we can do to kind of help you Thanks, get in that Casey. role. I've got a couple other questions that these yeah. are like personal yeah. that I love to ask. Um, but just they're fascinating to me. Um, talk to me about your faith. Talk to me about how faith yeah. has factored through these storms. Yeah. Whether it's 2000 in yeah. San Francisco and like yeah. being in that world or 2007 or, you know, 2020. Yeah. Talk to me about where faith comes in yeah. and how it fits. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I have always been deeply devoted to my faith. And I think when you say faith, you know, there, there are a couple of different levels to that. One is my, my religious faith. And, you know, I'm a devout member of the, uh, of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, always been active there and and so there's faith in the tenets of that and everything that that implies about our purpose on earth our families and everything there there's also faith in the specific path 
that God has for you. Yeah. And I think when you get into some of these tough situations that we've talked about here and, and you've experienced and we've, we've talked about, the, the faith that is often most in question is, is this the path yeah. that I am, that God, you know, established for me? Is this, am I on the path that yeah. he wants me on and, and that I'm supposed to be on? And, you know, that I think, uh, when you go through some of these experiences we've mentioned, I've, I've asked myself that it many, tests, many times. It tests, it tests that. your faith. Yeah. yeah you, you, you get, it's e- like, it's easy to be a founder and a CEO when it's good. Right. Right. And it's actually like most things are pretty easy when it's good. It's when it gets hard. Yeah. That that's where you really get tested and you really got to go figure out, Hey, who am I and what do I believe? Right. Right. And you know, that, that the reason I asked the question is that like yeah. in the hard times, yeah, how is it factored Yeah, outside of just like, Hey, I have a kind of, you know, theological yeah. belief, but like yeah. in practice, how yeah. have you seen it in practice? Like, give me some examples of like, this is how my yeah. life yeah. has been impacted by yeah. having a belief. Well, I think, you know, it, it allows you to double down on your path. I've been fortunate enough where I have felt at key junctures in my life, I have felt strong inspiration and and strong confirmation about uh about the path I'm supposed to be on. And and, and I'm not trying to be, you know, like holier than thou or bragging but, but, about but, but, that. But is it prayer? Is it just like a voice in your head? Like what are those moments where you're like because yeah. I, I know for me like I've been brought to my knees at different points yeah. where it, it it's a prayer of desperation. Right, right. Like, I need help. Plenty of those. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what, when are you, when you're saying, I've felt confirmation, like, how do you well, experience what I was, it? Let me finish that statement because what I was going to say is the times in my life when I felt the most, com, you know, divine confirmation about the path I'm supposed to be on, it turns out that those paths end up being the hardest and, and the paths that where I'm, I'm going to experience the most affliction and hardship and adversity. Yeah. And so those early confirmations are in contest with the reality that I'm experiencing and, and I'm grateful for them because of that. You think you needed more conviction? I, I, I needed those experiences, those confirmations in order to be able to keep going yeah. during those hard, hard times. And so, um, so, you know, it's not for every decision I make. It's not for every path I go down in life, but those ones that have ended up being the hardest. Yeah. I think it's interesting that I've had the the strongest confirmations about those on the front end. And I think it's because I, I, I wouldn't have been able to survive them. Otherwise. I remember there was one time that was like particularly hard for me. It was like a dark moment in my career was dealing with just some heavy challenges. And I remember just getting down and praying and kind of out of desk and just saying like, Hey, like I need help. Yeah. And like, can you like go fight this one for me? Because I'm like running out of steam. And I remember hearing like this voice, like distinct. It's like, can't you see that I've been fighting it? Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, 
And, and as I look back, I'm like, I had to go down that path. Yeah. Like I had to go down that path to have the seriousness of the situation. Yeah. Force the change yeah. that ended up ultimately positioning our business to be so much stronger. But it was one of those that was really profound. I thought that I was kind of like being persecuted or like yeah. the, the hand was, you know, yeah. I had done what I should do. And like, yeah. it wasn't like a fair outcome based off of like, I felt like I'd kick some butt, like I'd executed yeah. and it wasn't. And looking back, it was like, I got saved yeah. for myself. Right, right, right. You know what yeah. I mean? And I, that, that's the stuff that just like, when I really step back, I'm like, there's something bigger yeah. at play. Yeah. And even specifically, like, it's so fun for me to hear the story of your life because you look at these chapters, but then I look at like you being pretty young and there's this feeling that like your best music is yet to be played, hmm. you know, but I think somebody would look at you from the outside and say, man, that's like a pretty sweet career. Right. But it feels like you have some gas in the tank. Like there's still yeah. some sprint or there's still yeah. something that you're like driven to go do. Yeah. And that's fun for me. That inspires me like to see people hmm. that don't get complacent or right. don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Pushing out, you know, one thing I've learned uh, about that is that, and you know this, but it's just, you really aren't growing unless you're outside of your comfort zone yeah. and you're uncomfortable. And, you know, this campaign, as much conviction and determination as I have about it, I can, I'll be the first to tell you, it has totally made me uncomfortable. I mean, but it's it is, humbling. It is very humbling. I mean, you're, we're, we're me you're and, asking people for money. Me, me and you were upstairs <laughs> and I know how successful you've been. And you're asking me for a small check. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. But that like, you don't yeah. need to do that. And so, but that stuff's good for you. It is so good it's for good you. It's good to like get it back so and like, good. and need people. It's good to need people yeah. to, to, to pitch them for their support. Yeah. To make your case to, uh, it, you're right. It's humbling. It's, it's awkward in yeah. many instances. You know, I was just out in Moab over the weekend, yeah. a Lincoln Day dinner speaking there and people are putting you on the spot with questions and yeah. and quizzing you and and some of the most uncomfortable uh, moments I've had in the last decade. But on the way home, I looked at my wife and I said, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful to be pushed? And I can feel myself growing. I how does, can she, feel how myself does she feel where, about it? You know, she's in alignment and we would not be doing this if she wasn't yeah. in alignment. She has a complete veto on it, but we've, we both, we both felt the, the need and the call to do this. And it so, feel, yeah, it feels like something's calling to you. Like, yeah. I, I, like I can't get off of this. Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other things you can be doing specifically on like the private side, like you doing another business at this point would be a lot easier than the first time you did it. You yes. know what I mean? You yeah. just have some muscle and you've got some yeah. experience and like to go recreate it. Yeah. So there's a lot of things you can go sign up for that require all of you. Yeah. And anybody who's been a founder knows that to do it right, you got to be all in. Yeah. But to go sign up, you know, for one that, you know, is, is really about giving back and making a difference. I, I just, I think it's noble. I, I want no part of it personally. Right. Right. But yeah. I admire people that yeah. do it. 
Thanks, Casey. So. You're, you're hitting upon all the, all the nerves of this. And that's exactly right. You know, I mean, I, it would be, it would be easier to start a company right now within my comfort zone and, and still stay pretty comfortable. Um, this campaign, there's no way to do that at all in the comfort zone, in the comfort zone. It is totally, uh, new frontier, new skills for me, but, um, so, the, so, it's, so the, the, yeah. this, this is going to like, we're going completely off topic. Yeah, good. But where we're sitting right now at my house, I've got some ribs that are in the Traeger that are being smoked. And make me hungry. it's the first time that I've ever got into cooking this year. Yeah. And it's this new thing and it's put me way outside of my comfort zone. But there's this like magic yeah. In starting something new and sucking. Yeah. Like being, like not being good. Right. And having to go and that learning, yeah. pro, like there really is like this yes. beauty of. Those ribs but, are going to be the but, best you've but, ever but, eaten. But it's not natural. They are not. It's not natural. Like what's natural is to stay in your strength yeah. and stay in your comfort zone. Yeah. But that's not where the growth happens. Like the growth happens when you get uncomfortable. And honestly, like you go back to this trust and this faith and like, if there's something pulling you to like, not answer the call, I think, I think you'd regret it. I I think if you didn't like go for this thing, regardless of what happens, I think you'd regret it not going all in. You know what I mean? You're giving voice to it, Casey. I I looked and felt and tried to find an excuse not to do this. And I knew that I had to do it. And, uh, and I still feel that way. And, uh, and as uh, awkward as I mentioned, I felt in times as uncomfortable and humble as I felt. I'm also really enjoying it. Well, you're going to, you're going to kick butt. I know you're going to win. I know you're going to smash it. And like, honestly, I think we're really lucky to have people like you that choose to go do it. And we, you know, we need a lot more of it. Let me, before we finish up, I've got kind of one last question when you go, if you were to go back and you do this a lot with teaching, what advice would you give to yourself if you were starting fresh? You know, if you were to go back and sit down with yourself with what you know now, you know, how would you help a young Case Lawrence navigate the world quicker and better and avoid some of the pitfalls? You know, what, what, what would kind of the, the two or three pieces of advice You'd say, hey, these things are important. Remember these things as you're making decisions. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That's a great question. Um, I think uh, there there are a couple different uh, aspects to that. I think um, one is, I think you've touched upon it, you know, you know what they say about the best laid plans and, and yet most of, most of my success, most of the breakthroughs in my career are not things that I planned. They're not things that, that I expected. They were being open to completely unexpected ideas and opportunities and, and, and being in a position to embrace those fully and re- to recognize them first and foremost, and yes. then embrace them fully. Yeah. Um, and and that really is what risk is about. Um, 
is is being able to take risk on those emergent opportunities and just embrace them and go all in yeah. on, on them. That that really, I, I would do that. All, all the success I've had is is because I've done that in part. And I wish I would have had more courage to Gun, do that in full, full, full force yeah. and be and be yeah. all in. It would have, it would make all the difference. Um, so that's that's the first. I think I think the second is to to recognize what you actually just alluded to a minute ago: the importance of being in alignment with my wife first of all, and with God. You know that that there's something about being in alignment there where you're working in the same direction as your spouse and in the same direction as God. And you're not trying to, to force both of them over but, but to your how, direction. So, so, but how, how do you do it? You know, I, I think when I look at marriage in 2024 yeah, and when I look at God in 2024, yeah. it's like, there's never been more people moving away from God. Right. And they're like, 50% of marriages are divorce. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? I don't think anybody when they get started yeah. has the intent to live a disconnected life or a no. life with less meaning or connectivity or purpose, regardless of like sect or religion. Yeah. And then the second one is I don't, when you get married, I don't know of anybody that mm -hmm. like has any aspiration not to have it work. Right. And so it's yeah. obviously like if half. Yeah. It's not, but for you, it's been like a, a linchpin. It's been a, a, a something of strength. Yeah. Like what, what are the things, you know, you say, Hey, those two things have to be in line. What are the habits and rituals that you've done over the years yeah. to make sure that they stay aligned? Cause it's one thing to say, Hey, this is important. It's something else to say on a daily basis Yeah. and on a weekly basis and on a monthly basis, yeah. I do these things. Right. And this is what keeps yeah. my wife and my family or my faith yeah. front and center. I think let me give you a very entrepreneur specific answer to this cuz this is this is really important you know a lot of it is total transparency with your spouse or partner when it comes to entrepreneurship because one of the things is is that it's one thing to take risk it's one thing to live with risk day in and day out when you have all the information you know when you're the entrepreneur yeah. you understand day by day, what the actual, you, you have a feel for what the chances of this happening or of this deal breaking through or of this event happening. And your wife, your spouse is taking on all the same risk as you are. Without the context. Without yeah. the context, yeah. without the information. And so one thing I found is that I, I just have found that if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to stay married, you've got to practice hyper- transparency like it's it's got to be just so but how, more how do you than do you it? ever like what, what are, like, and i've it, evolved it, into it i mean it, it is wasn't, it kind of like a weekly date is it a weekly sync is it kind of a like it, how, how do you like yeah build that into a practice versus yeah i think event? it is it is events it is a weekly date it is it is uh, that but it's also just more of a mindset a philosophy of just openness yeah like hey i am bringing you in yeah. here and and early in my entrepreneurial career, I used to shield my wife. And by the way, there's there's a, there's a certainly an honorable intent behind that, right? Well, like well, I'm well, shielding. What you're my, saying is so profound that I'm thinking of a time again where it's particularly hard. Yeah, and I was trying to protect my wife from it. Yeah, because I'm like I don't want like her to yeah. get scared. Right. And the the time 
this one particular time when I was just vulnerable. Yeah. I just said, I'm scared to death. Like, yeah. Like I need help. And it, it was amazing how like I remember one time we're on a walk and I'm like telling her yeah. what's happened. It's dire. Yeah. And my wife looks at me. She's like, you need to like buck up. <laughs> you need to like step up. You've got this. Yeah. And I'm like, I do need to step up. Yeah. And like, she was like the strength that I yeah. needed. And I'm so I'm trying to shield her from something that I'm like, no, I, what I actually needed was like, yeah her to build me up in this moment. So like you're describing this and I'm like, yeah, when, when I haven't done it, I've walked that road alone. Yeah. Out of probably a noble intent. Yes. Very but, noble. But yeah, probably like I'm disconnected at home and she doesn't know why I'm disconnected. Yeah. And she yeah. thinks that like, yeah, it's something that she's doing or the kids are doing. I'm just like stressed yeah. to hell with work. Right. Right. Or the other one is, you know, and yeah. so I, I, what you're describing is actually so profound when it I'm thinking so about it. Cause I'm like, important. when I've done it, yeah. when we've come along together and we're better at it now than we were, you know, yeah. we, we can, we try to grow, but when we've done it, we're just, we're in it together. We're it's fighting so, together, you it's know, so and, much better. It and, is and there's so time better. and you, you'll, you'll acknowledge this. Like there's times and seasons, Any, yeah. like anybody who thinks nine to five, 40 hours a yeah. week. It's this pie and this, yeah. that's not how life works. No. Like there's no. times where you, you're extreme. Do, you do the job until the job is yeah. done. And it's, yeah. could be a extended period of extremes. Yeah. So but if true. you're not on the same page in those oh, extremes, misery, it just I, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And I, I think there's so many entrepreneurs that feel, and it's kind of an old school idea that, Hey, it's my job to, to kind of, shield my family from these stresses. But if you're going to do that entrepreneurial route, I think the wow. faster you learn that lesson of like, it's got to be hyper transparent. I have never heard it described the way you're describing it. And you're describing experiences of I had in my life where it's yeah. worked and where Same. it hasn't worked. Same. And I'm thinking about this being like, man, it would have been better if I would have done this sooner. Yeah. Yeah. It is so You know true. what I mean? And, and like you said, I, I've had those same rewarding things where I've, I've been not surprised, but well, yeah, maybe a little surprised at how much support my spouse, how much more supportive my spouse was able to be. And maybe how much you needed me. it. I thought I was protecting her. Yeah. And, and yet, and yet what it really was, was hampering was her being able yeah. to support me. And, and, you know, it is, look, she is taking all the same risk. She's subject to all the same vulnerability, all the same catastrophe, everything. And yet she doesn't know. She she is not feeling out the information and and confronted with the information on a day-to-day basis. Wow. And and that is you talk Man, about the harder role. It is harder for her for her. No, you know? that, that that is so profound. So you've got kind of number one is kind of communicate yeah. and and be over yeah. abundance as you're starting this journey. Yeah. What else? What's the, what's so kind of the last? That's a big one. So what would we talk about that? Um, talked about, about being willing to, to take the path less traveled, yeah. you know? Um, and, and even and, like describing yeah. that, like I had this experience and, and my father-in-law is like the greatest human on earth. Yeah. Like I, I love him and I love my mother-in-law. But I remember 
I was in school and it was kind of those famous last words of, Hey, I'm just going to take one semester off. <laughs> like I've got this opportunity and I'm, I'm just going to go all in for this. And I never went back. <laughs> and I remember, and I was doing door to door sales, which again, you yeah. talk about a path like less traveled. Yeah. It's not like, and I remember my father like pulling me aside and be like, Hey, there's a time like soon yeah. where you need to get a real job. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Out of like the, the most sincere intent. Right. He's sharing that with me. But the second he shared it with me, I just knew he was wrong. Yeah. And I knew that I was on yeah. a path that was going to be great for my family. Yeah. And I look back and it was, I like, I, I, yeah. I was in tune. I knew, yeah. I knew, Yeah. And, but it, it wasn't a traditional path and it right. wasn't the path that the people who cared about me yeah. the most we're actually telling me to go on so yeah. that there is like a, a piece of like, you have to follow your yeah. heart. Yeah, absolutely. When you have that self conviction, that peace, all of that, you do have to be confident in that. And I, I've had those same moments. I mentioned one earlier, you know, I remember when I was in my darkest moment and all my family and friends were telling me, you need to go get a real job. And, and I, there was a voice inside. It was, I knew that, 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 that advice made all the sense in the world. It was the right advice for them to give. But, but at the end of the day, I was confident in the yeah. path that, that I was feeling yeah. you know, divine and otherwise. And, and so I, I think that, I think, I think at the end of the day, the path less traveled in your case, in my case, that's made all, all the difference. You know, y y the success came from being out on the frontier in a, yeah. in a place where not everyone else found themselves. Yeah. And, and so embracing that, and I would have been a lot more, uh, a lot more willing to look for those opportunities in my life yeah. of, of opportunities to kind of get away from the herd a little bit rather than, than be in a race yeah. with the rest of the herd. And, uh, and I didn't really understand that early in my yeah. career. Now I look back and it, that, that's what made all the difference. Yeah. Even though I didn't, I didn't I, I know, curate uh, it. Alex Dunn, he's a yeah. you know, supporter of yours and he's, you know, special mentor and friend in my life. But we were having this conversation with him and he was talking, you know, we were having this conversation about the Steve Jobs commencement speech. Mm. And about connecting the dots, looking backward. And, it, yes. you know, as you look backwards, you can see yeah. if you wouldn't have had that law background, right. yeah, you never would have gone to Silicon Valley. Yeah. And you never would have seen Silicon Valley from a lens. Right. Of you're actually in the deals. Yeah. The mechanics. No one sees the mechanics. Right. They just see right. it from the out. And you're yeah. in like the... And you never would have done circus tricks yeah. if the first venture would have worked. True, yeah. And and it's, you, as you look back, yeah. and even where you're at right now, starting this journey, you never would have started this kind of public service journey yeah. without those other yeah. life kind of altering experiences. And so it's just, so true. It, 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 it truly is so beautiful. You think about this this idea of coincidences yeah. in your life. And I think all of us kind of feel like, Hey, I'm in control. Yeah. I'm the captain of my ship. You know, yeah. I can go build the life, but there are experiences that you're like, that was just grace. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was just grace. Yeah. yeah. 
and it changed my so life, true. you know, and it, that's the one where you kind of just have to trust that there's like yeah. something bigger yes. at play, yes. you know, that, that you're guided, that there's this yeah. bigger picture. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's beautiful. You, you have lived and are living a beautiful life. I, I'm so excited for the Same. next chapter of this journey. Um, all in on supporting you. Um, would love to. Thanks, Casey. Yeah. So I guess to cap it off, and this is important, how can people yeah. also support you in this journey? Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, well, I would like every, everyone's support. I, I don't take a single voter's support for granted, single supporter's support for granted. You can go to uh, my campaign website. It's caselawrence.com. Uh, on that, you can both volunteer and you can donate. You know, I've told Casey and I have talked about this just today. He alluded to it. I'm I'm putting my money uh, into this venture. You know, I'm investing uh, a, a seven figure amount, a lot of money, a like, lot of money, like real, real yeah. dollars to yeah. it's show that you're serious. It's not going to be without resources. Yep. But what I've learned in this is that the scoreboard for support and momentum in this race is other people putting yeah. in dollars, even if it's five bucks, even if it's 10 bucks, whatever, whatever it is, that goes a long way in the momentum and support of this campaign. So that is, that is definitely a tangible way that people can, can help and support Yeah, is to donate. And I appreciate every dollar. I take none of it for granted and I will treat it sacredly. Well, I want to get you in there. We're going to go work hard to get you in there. The, the vote is in June. Yeah, June 25th, and ballots will go out June and, 1st. And, and I so. didn't fully understand the mechanics of this. I mean, Utah is like a highly red state. Yeah, yeah. So the real election is kind of June. It's you June, know, like primary. For, for the For yeah. the most part, you know, very low probability that yeah. the, the winner of the primary will probably win the That's seat, correct. you know, That's based correct. off of, It's an know, R13 seat. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. winner of that Republican primary is, is going to take gonna be, it. Yeah. Okay, well- Appreciate you coming. Um, thanks, Casey. Can't wait to pick this up in the future. And yeah, yeah. thanks so much for coming this yeah. morning in the afternoon. 